There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish Island. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new season of Dish Island. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. Hello, everyone. It is so lovely to have you back for a brand new season. Hope you're hungry. I am. Now, listen, we here on Dish Island are tremendous fans of food. I Not think- experts. We really need to stress that point. Not experts. Oh, we have no authority whatsoever. But we like to talk to people who know a lot more than us about food. Or are as in love with food as we are. Because for anyone who listened to season one, you'll know that not all of our guests are experts as well. But here we are united by an absolute adoration of food. At least we were, because we can't find any of the guests (laughs) from the first season. They've just gone. I've searched the whole island and I cannot find any trace of them. And although this is concerning, upsetting, and very mysterious, it does mean that we are starting season two with a completely clean slate, or more accurately, (laughs) a clean plate. Yes, it's very convenient and potentially tragic, we're not sure yet, but they're gone, and so we are going to build a whole new raft of incredible guests this season. People you will know, people you may not know, but will absolutely love after hearing our interviews with them. In short, amazing guests are going to be rocking up at the island every single week this season. I love that you still say rocking up as if the premise... The premise alludes to the fact that they have any choice in the matter. We will be kidnapping Mm. several of your favourite artists, musicians, chefs. Actors. Comedians. That's right. And we'll be bringing them here against their will (laughs) to our island where they can choose one dish to bring with them, their desert island dish. That's right. Now, Paul, before we bring today's guest onto our island, I have to ask you a question. Okay. Is there one food that you were just absolutely hooked on when you were, say, in your teens, your early teens, maybe you're still in primary school, that you just wouldn't dream of eating now? I'm going to tell you a very short story, (laughs) and it's going to upset you a little bit because you've been there for the consequences of this story. Oh, my God. So I was a big and remain a very big sugar fiend when I was a kid. Yes. Now... Do you remember Nerds? Oh, God. Yes, of course I remember Nerds. Um, If anybody hasn't come into contact with Nerds in their life, first of all, good job. (laughs) Very good job. It sounds like you just hate Nerds, the people. (laughs) (laughs) No, they were these tiny little rock candies, and they often came in a box that was divided into two small compartments. Yeah. And I remember um, one of the flavors used to be grape, and I think it was strawberry, so you'd get little purple Nerds and then little pink Nerds on the other side. Yeah, they had a kind of, they had one flavor on the inside of 
and, and another f- kind of coating on the outside. But they oh, were. Oh, right. We see my palate didn't pick up the duo of flavors going on in Nerds. Yeah. If you can't taste the tannins in Nerds, you're doing something <laughs> wrong. Anyway, they were really, really very colorful and eye catching. And in terms of flavor, they were exactly what I liked. Mm. And I wasn't allowed to eat much junk food, but I would go out and sneak out and spend my pocket money on it anyway. And so in my teens, I kind of went in the opposite direction. I went, I'm eating them every day. So I would buy a bottle of creaming soda, which oh, is, God. Oh, you know, that like kind of like pink kind of soda. Oh my God. And then I would pour a box of nerds in and then it would dissolve and form kind of like a syrup. And then I would drink it and I would run around making whoop whoop noises. Anyway, flash forward. I have like nine cavities and two root canals. Your teeth are a <laughs> wasteland. I know. And this is all so clear now, Paul. How did your mum let you do that? Um, You'll have to ask her. But I still occasionally see extremely sugary nightmare fuel in shops and a little part of me, you know, you go to the supermarket and you see that. Yeah. And a little part of me just craves that. I think it's maybe some sort of like longing for childhood as opposed to wanting to experience the flavors again. Look, I I was going to say I'm not going to judge you. I am. And we're going to have serious discussions about our dental bills from this point on. Off mic, yes. But- I, I, I look, I understand this. Going back, there is a certain nostalgia in eating these foods. I quite recently bought myself, I still call it a 30-cent cone from Macca's. Wait, you bought a soft serve? Yeah, because I used to just, I mean, first of all, it was the only thing I could afford, but I used to absolutely love a 30-cent cone, or if I was going a little bit, you know, out there that weekend, I'd get a flake popped in it as well. And I used to love that. I used to love a Baker's Delight finger bun. Do you remember back in the Baker's Delight heyday where it used to be really good bread, or at least I hadn't tried other bread, so I thought it was really good bread. Oh, yeah. You have this memory of like a French patisserie. You rock up there now and go, used to be much better. I don't know if it did. I used to work there with me with my burgundy collots. I used to really love a finger bun. I used to love it. Veggie might scroll. There are things that I did adore back then that I wouldn't eat now. I'm sure, Paul, that we can comfortably agree. <laughs> that I wouldn't eat nerds anymore. You Can you please nod just so I have that? No, look, consider this <laughs> Consider this legally binding. I'm not going to descend back into the pits of sugary hell again, okay? But speaking of things we absolutely love from our formative years, our next guest is the front woman of critically acclaimed band Killing Heidi. She's a celebrated solo artist. She's a broadcaster, and she was team captain on the Spicks and Specs revival. And unlike nerds, she's extremely good for your teeth. She's the absolutely iconic Ella Hooper. Ella, welcome to Dish Island. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do I get to get all the dishes on all the islands, please? You can if you want to. I mean, really, this is uh, what Paul and I discussed is this is a fresh start for a fresh year. And, you know, last year, by the end, we'd accumulated a lot of people on our island mm. um, and they were they were messing up the place. So we think that we're just going to... We murder them every season, Ella. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, well, whoa. Am I the first man? Am I Prometheus, guys? Holy well, shit. Well, that's, yeah, kind of now you are. So, you know, you want all the dishes on all the islands, but yours is going to be the only one. But, you know, we'll get to your desert island dish soon. But uh, we, you've been back out there this year performing. You've been interacting with people in the flesh again. That must feel so exciting. From a, a safe distance, Tegan, from a of safe course. distance. Like, yeah, keep them away from me now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely my hermity tendencies were heightened in the last few years and it has been super strange getting back into it, but literally 
last weekend and the weekend before, I think we went down to Tassie with the band with Killing Heidi and then we hit like Hastings in Victoria, played with Frenzel Rom, Regurgitator, Custard Snout. It it wasn't wasn't just like going back to 2020. It was like going back to 1999. So life is strange and good. Well, this is actually just such a perfect jumping off point because whenever I think of you, I, I think about this person who really was just so much more mature than most of us at a really young age and out there in the world. And when people's food lives change, often that's driven by travel. Yeah. When I was 13, I mean, the band wasn't big yet, but we had been, you know, quote unquote, discovered and we were shopping around for record deals internationally and stuff. So when I was 13, I sort of took my first plane flight from Violet Town to New York and London and LA. And it was yeah, eye-opening to say the least and and definitely, oh, my God, I, I'm a huge foodie. I'm a huge lover of food. So that was a big part of it too. I've not been to Violet Town, but I've been to quite a few kind of country towns and typically speaking, you've got like the one Chinese restaurant and there's some pub food, but food-wise, it's a really, there's not too much going on food-wise. How did your taste buds at that young age kind of process that much sensory input? So much, so fast. Paul, you're you're being kind. You can call it a barren wasteland. Food wise, <laughs> it's a barren, it's a barren wasteland of like if you're lucky, yes, the the MSG Chinese local Chinese, which we do have not in Violet Town, but down the road in Euroa, we had a Chinese restaurant. We had the Dragon Boat, my favorite in Benalla, and is I think it's I think it's Wingley in in Euroa. But apart from that, you've got. Greasy fish and chips, dimmies in the Bain Marie, which hey, don't knock on my love. I love dimmies from the Bain Marie. But yeah, I was lucky because my parents were tree changers. So I'm not, I'm not full country. That's my secret. I'm only first generation country, whereas my parents oh. were quite, quite worldly and knew how to cook a mean Rogan Josh and, you know, Paratha breads and stuff like that. So I grew up having like a little bit of that hippie influence, coolie tree changer food at home, but then getting the world's most bland salad sandwich at school, like at the tuck shop and stuff. So I sort of knew what was up, but yeah, going overseas really blasts it open. So were you the kind of cool, weird kid who would swan in from the big city halfway into year seven? Were you that kid? Because we had a few of those rock up in school. Like, you are so cool. That hair is, you know, and and you just wanted to know so much about them. What, what was it like? I was three. So I was three when we uh. hit Violet Town from, you know, from Richmond. And I'm telling you, it was still, it was still exactly that that people were teasing me for my beret that I wore. Yes. I was like the, the weird city kid with the black roll neck, you know, it was actually true. Even though I was three years old, they were like, oh, what are you doing that for? <laughs> you know. I, 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 this, uh, this is not very PC, but in primary school, when I started wearing my, my mum's homemade jumpers and, and her various amazing hats, I, my, I got called beret poofter. Like that was one of my um, primary school slurs that was kind of used against me, which now makes me piss myself. Beret Pufta in the sandpit. How good is that? Oh, bless country Victoria. What just a wonderful cultural sack it is yes yeah look I'm not look but I love I'm not painting it I'm painting it out to be awful I love Violet Town actually the best time ever growing up there and it's part of like it's definitely the secret to my success but yeah there were some quirks to it for sure oh yeah I mean it's look my parents have moved out to Gippsland now we've chatted about it on the show that unfortunately they also did not pick one of those really cool country towns where the food is excellent and you've got all these like this kind of cottage industry starting up it's not that but like I like you I I really love the area and I love the people and I love the feeling that I have out there but 
So you started in Violet Town. There was this mixture of your tree change parents and their influence, your worldliness through your very, you know, your blossoming career. How has that left you now as an adult? Well, well, this is my secret shame. I'm a big foodie that can't cook very well. (laughs) So I may have, I definitely gravitate towards people who can cook. All of my boyfriends have been great cooks and, you know, all of my best friends are like ridiculous cooks. The the girls that I grew up with, my besties, who are still my besties, who are actually an amazing bunch of country girls still, they're just like, they may as well be your Julia Ostros, your Ottolenghi's. Like they just, they have these giant market gardens. They're always growing vegetables. They could talk about heirloom tomatoes for longer than I personally care to. But I get the rewards in that I get to eat their cooking and my, nice. my partners my partners are vegetarian too. So we have amazing vegetarian food at home. I'd say I'm 90% to 95% vegetarian by proxy, but he's he's like a very long-term strict one. So he's never going to eat meat, but I do sometimes eat meat on the side when I'm traveling around and I can't resist it or whatever. But so, yeah, I basically, I find a way to eat really good food without knowing a fucking thing about cooking myself. Um, and we do even sometimes plan our touring schedule around really good restaurants. Like when we go to Adelaide, we always stay the night. We don't fly out even if we're playing early in the day because we can go to Africola for dinner and take the whole band and have a a delicious boozy foodie night at Africola. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, it's, it's such a joy of life. I can't imagine life without getting excited about food. I feel a kind of inverse to you where I love music. I think I have a really I think I have really good taste in music, but I can't make it, right? <laughs> That's kind of like you with food. I mean, yeah, have you found that you're kind of as a you're a creative, you know, you're an artist. Have you found that you've wanted to cook and that you've wanted to kind of flex your creative muscles in the kitchen? Have you tried? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've tried. Like, I, I actually quite enjoy cooking. It's just that no one else enjoys me cooking. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I really like it. It's especially it's a grounding thing when I come home because, you know, like you guys, I'm such a busy little bee and I'm always just doing a million things and going in, out, in, out. But when I feel like I've been out too long and I need to calm down at home I go straight to cooking a soup and I can actually make a pretty delicious soup I know that I know everyone can that's like (laughs) step one but but it makes me feel really good just to stand there and methodically chop and listen to music and most of the time I think the results are really good but anything beyond that people are just sort of going okay that's food that's not so much a meal that's food (laughs) like yeah sustenance food what do you think nourishes your soul more as a musician do you think it's music or is it food Oh, that is what an epic question. I know. I thought that one was. I've never, I've never thought about that before in my life. Holy shit. Okay. I think I do still think that I'd probably lose my mind quicker if I couldn't self-soothe through music. Like music definitely, music is such a big mood shifter for me, but but food is such a big comfort. But then again, Mm. I can get mood shifting and comfort from food too. Oh, that is tricky. I'm going to say music, but I I, I may 
if if you actually made me live like that, I would be very sad. <laughs> that's all right. You know, you can always, we'll hear from you again in the future, I'm sure. And if you've changed your mind, that's fine. I mean, my mind was blown because very similarly, music is a huge mood shifter for me. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say this. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because whenever I'm out walking, I always turn to music as opposed to podcasts. That's just, yeah. Right. So um, I'm hoping all of our listeners are not like that at all. I found out quite recently, though, that there is a very small percentage of people who are not affected by music in the slightest. So they can hear it, it can go in and out, they can maybe like or dislike music, but it will not change how they feel. Yeah, my mum's a bit like that, where she just does goes, eh, she doesn't really have strong opinions it about doesn't, music. doesn't, yeah, rile them up or anything. Yeah. I met one of those the other day. It was like, this is going to sound so girly, but it was like, it was a facialist. I was having a facial and the one, she's like, so, so what do you do, love? And I'm like, oh, I'm a musician. You know, usually I don't even say that, but yeah, because you, know, you just kind of want to not talk about it for a second. And she's like, oh yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really care about music. I just let my husband put on whatever. And I don't even know. Like, I was like, what, what do you mean? You don't care about music. And it, it was just fascinating she she too couldn't give a shit about it she didn't know didn't know didn't want to know and I just thought that was so bizarre yeah and it is it hits me in the same way as those people who we meet uh, we've had one on the show Luke McGregor who they they eat for nourishment and they eat for sustenance but really it doesn't bother them what they're eating they could go in or there and I I just I I don't understand it because you know one of the big conversations Paul and I have been having about this year this year which is you know it's a it's a really interesting one, 2020. And for us, we realized that subliminally. 2020. Sorry, 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh god. I mean, I to you, but... <laughs> subliminally, we keep on waiting for something. Probably the end of COVID, something exciting and new in our life. Some so, big weird magical career opportunity that's just gonna like that's gonna change shake everything. us up because we feel like we've been in this holding pattern for so long. And we realize that that's probably not going to happen. And when we look at the news, we've realized that all these things that are stressing us out, like the state of politics and all that sort of stuff, they're also not going to magically stop. So we have to find this comfort and this equilibrium and this happiness. And we have to make that for ourselves in the day to day. And it's food and music that are giving us some control over that. And I'm sure it's really obvious. I'm sure most people came to that realization a very long time ago. But this year, it's something that we're leaning into even more than before. And and the idea that some people don't have access to that's just wild and very upsetting for me. I know. I love that, Tegan. I love what you've just said. I just, I don't think it can be overstated though, because sometimes we really blank the simple things and we blank mm. the daily, the daily soothing things because yet yeah, life is just... It's been it's been a such a strange and challenging set of years and it's still not over because we're not over it and it's not done. But yeah, I reckon that's it's really wise to re-emphasize the food, the music, and honestly the boring it sounds boring, but the exercise, moving mm. your body, taking care of your body, your heart, your mind, friendships, communication, and whether that's over food or over music, obviously those two things bring people together and that's something we've had such a struggle with being able to do. So I think as we reconnect and, you know, I was joking about being a hermit and stuff, but it's a real concern that if we forget how to commune and be in company and that doesn't even have to be in the same room, but even to just jump on a Zoom with a friend and have one of those remote dinner parties that everyone was doing, like don't let that stop if that's what you're now comfortable with. You've just got to stay 
I think community and staying in touch with friends and family or whoever it is, your chosen family that makes you feel like a human being, you know, those are, those are why food and music work because they get people out of the house and they get them together. I agree. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And on that, in Melbourne, we've all been dealing with the news over the last couple of days at the John Curtin Hotel, uh, which is a very popular music venue, live music venue in Melbourne, is now up for sale and most likely will become apartments. I know, what a surprise. Um, And this is something, you know, I I think back to other iconic music venues in Melbourne and the Greyhound jumps to mind. That was where you shot your very first film clip, you know. And I just wonder, though, have we in this time lost a few of these places where people do come together? As a musician, are you feeling that? Or do you think that these sorts of moments, these festivals and performances, that they will always find a way regardless? I am worried about it, Tiggs. I really am. I think that the culture, you know, the tone of a city can change. And I'm not a NIMBY, like, you know, bloody not, you know, I I understand that sometimes we need to go up, we need to embrace change, we need to change our cities and modify them for what people actually want at the time. But on the other hand, pubs are something that have gone back centuries millions of years there have been pubs and the dinosaurs went to pubs we need to protect them no I think I think those community access points for music and food and and revelry and and stress relief are so fucking important and if we just make them all into apartments and car parks you know, dinner parties are one thing, but going anonymously to a pub to sit there after you've been broken up with or you've had a break, like you can be publicly alone in public or you can be in company, you can be a bit cheeky, be a bit rowdy, all these things that are hard to do at a dinner party or just at someone's house or with one other person. These spaces are so important for people's mental health, for community And of course, for artists and musicians coming up, that's where we go and do our work before, you know, if we're lucky enough to become big and super successful, which actually is not many people get that next step opportunity. But the first step is the local freaking venue, the local freaking pub. And that's what Melbourne prides itself on, apparently, and brands itself on relentlessly. And I get so upset when on one hand, they want to milk that branding and then they they okay, you know, crazy um, noise restrictions and the decimation of the pub culture. It's just, it's crap. It's really crap. And it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, I think we should judge the people who run and lead our cities very harshly on that because it will completely change the tone. And then suddenly we will be like, oh, Melbourne's not Melbourne anymore. It's kind of boring. It's Sydney or whatever. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but no, it, it is. You're absolutely right. Melbourne has you know, it it does, it has a particular type of flavour. And I mean, it's really hard to judge whether that has vanished given the past few years that we've been through. But sometimes I do worry. Sometimes I'm walking around Melbourne and it doesn't feel, doesn't feel cool anymore. And I suddenly feel very old. (laughs) I keep thinking it's just me getting old. But if you're saying that too, I think you're pretty cool. And I'm I'm definitely concerned. One of the first times I remember hearing about 
Killing Heidi, I was, I think, 16 years old and I was at a house party and I was very drunk. And um, I think we were on the northern beaches somewhere and somebody said, oh, there's this new band Killing Heidi and they're playing at a pub around the corner from us. Um, do you want to head across? And we were also wrecked that we decided not to. And I, I, you I, I, idiot. Re- I regret that decision <laughs> so much. I mean, pub culture is a really interesting thing in Australia because we miss travel very much. And one of the things we really missed is going to England and enjoying kind of British pubs because they have a really distinctive flavor. What is it you think that Australian pubs have that no other venues in the world have going on? Oh, that's so that's so funny you say that. I think I remember that exact gig on the Northern Beaches because we didn't get to play many pub shows. It was kind of, it wasn't a very long time that we were playing pubs. So, ah, no, no. But, um, <laughs> And and on that, like I'm I'm so craving that that sort of rustic pub fireside culture that I'm planning. I want to plan a bit of a trip to um, England, Ireland, and the UK as well because I'm just feeling this calling to go sit by a roaring fire somewhere and hear people playing fiddle and and mm. you know and singing a lot. Like I'm just wanting that so bad that I'm hopefully with fingers crossed and triple vaccination going to try and get over there sometime in the next six to 12 months to have yeah. a hit of that that I'm craving it so badly but what is it about Aussie pubs they're a little I'd say they're in my experience a little less family a little less traditional and a little more loose but maybe that's my rock and roll kind of tenure speaking there, there's a good variety of them though you do have your foodie pubs you do have your family country pubs which is what I sort of grew up on and then you've got your cool like you know the, the pubs that belong to the people who are making the most of Melbourne in their 20s and 30s and 40s. And, you know, it's really not an age thing, but the people who love to use a city and go out and have their after work drinks and take some time before they go home just to debrief and to be again, like, you know, in public, in company, but kind of without a plan. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just think there's this strata of people that I know and love that you could call them barflies and they're really interesting characters and they hold stories and they're often very easy to make friends with and you can often just find them always at the same place in the same pub and I can think of like five different people men and women of all different ages that just gravitate towards those places and they're if this was like a computer game, which I know you guys are into, like those are they, those are those characters that you have throughout the levels of life that you can just go up and talk to and find yeah. out weird information and stories that you never forget. And I've become, I've become very close to some special people through that kind of hangouts. And you know, a few of them have passed away recently too. In the last couple of years, we've lost a few because it's, it's not the easiest lifestyle drinking that much booze. It will kill you in the end. I don't know. I find them fascinating characters. And I think, again, that they should be supported and protected. And you speak about these interesting characters in a community. And one thing I always found really fascinating when I was young and growing up was this, uh, I grew up in Dandenong and at the Dandenong Plaza, there would be this table of old Italian men who would sit in the food court. And every time we went there, this this big table of men would always be there. And I, I found it so 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 confusing because the plaza was not a beautiful shopping center. The food court was a bit dingy, a little bit shitty. And as I got older, I realized that basically in town planning, we don't create those spaces where people go just to meet and Mm. sit and talk. You know, that village square, that sort of space where it is okay to just be. And I think that in Australia, the pub is that other space where people can just go and communicate and hash it out. And when you think about it, where else can you outdoors very safely go and just meet with a big group of people? There's not that many, especially when you go slightly suburban. 
I think in the city sometimes you can be, you know, a bit fortunate, a bit luckier with, you know, park spaces and stuff like that. But if you grow up in a place like Dandenong, there are not a lot of places you, you just hang out. That's exactly it. I reckon that you, you, that's so on the money. It's seeing those old old boys sitting around or and, and communing in public. And just the same with a beer garden full of people. You don't even have to be drinking. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, or, or you could be drinking to excess. It's just such a sort of take-me-as-I-come environment and you might just sit and listen one day or the next day you might be the one who's you know spilling the beans and got so much to say i just love that variety but do you go to pubs to eat specifically because i know there's this whole movement and god this word makes me cringe but gastro pubs are a whole thing and i feel like there's different variants of pubs that i struggle with i struggle with pokies and i struggle with pubs that focus on the kind of upper class eating end as opposed to the kind of stuff we're talking about but what's your go-to pub meal if, if you're at a pub and they've got that chalkboard out like what are you ordering my go-to oh, i hate to admit it this is this is not my vegetarian side speaking i do love a schnitzel yes I, a really good schnitzel with like pepper sauce holy cow i just can't resist I had a very similar upbringing to you, by the way. I think economically we were kind of in a similar spot and a meal which for us was like the height of sophistication in our little kind of backwater suburb where we lived. It was, yeah, wedges with sweet chili and sour cream was like this Uh, cultural (laughs) revolution because I think it was the first time us whiteys had ever tasted anything even <laughs> vaguely spicy. I know. So did you? I mean, and and you're also, you know, like you said, doing a tour with all these bands from back in back in the day. It feels like this podcast has become about time travel. If you could, if you could spin yourself back in time to kind of when you were starting out musically, what would you? Like, what would what would you say to yourself? What would you do? And, and is it weird, kind of steeping yourself so much in nostalgia at the moment? Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty steeped in nostalgia. And I, I, I do feel like I'm almost, I'm almost drowning in it. Like it's time to come up and do some something fresh and something new after we get all these Killing Heidi shows done, which have been rescheduled from 2020. So I didn't mean to be doing them in 2022. (laughs) You know, like, come on, guys. I said I was available three years ago. I didn't say I was available now. But anyway, (laughs) we'll get them done. And what could I say to myself back then? I'd say, like, lay off the garlic bread, lay off the sweet chili sauce. Oh, my God, Paul. We... Sweet chili sauce kind of changed my life, absolutely. And the thing is, I n- I've never stopped. I almost cannot. I'm a chiliophile and I add it to every single meal. I have tens of different chili sauces in the cupboard as well as dried chili flakes and chili preserves and pickled chili and just all of it. So I'm a spice freak and I don't really want to know about it if it doesn't have a little kick to it. And I blame sweet chili sauce and the way that that set my mind on fire as a kid. Yes. Gateway drug of the 90s. Well, <laughs> It was. It really was. I'm just curious as to whether heat is going to be an element in your Desert Island dish. I think it must dish. be. It must surely be. Well, you know what? Let's not drag this out anymore. I need to know now what you, Ella Hooper, have chosen and brought to the island as your official Desert Island dish. And you guys know that I didn't make it right because I said that at the top. I did not create this dish myself. Here it's been made by magic and it is the best version of your dish. Oh, my God. The best version of this dish, it doesn't really get much better. It is the best, the freshest, the juiciest, the crispiest, the eggiest, the spiciest, the mustard powderiness. Singapore noodles. Oh, mm. oh yum. Mm. 
Are you got the little um the little prawns in there? Got we've got it. We've got everything in there. It's it's a bit of it's an embarrassing. It's a riches of of animals and crustaceans and bean bean shoots and chili and the curry powder is just drives me crazy. Something about the mixture of the curry powder with all the shredded vegetables too, like the onion. And I just love rice noodles. Like I could eat rice noodles until I pop. I can't actually stop with them. I've been known to eat the largest serving of Singapore noodles that Luxor King in Flemington can muster. And that is big and I can finish it. It is wild that you've brought this up because very recently my dad and I were having a very heated conversation lamenting the fact that you you, you just cannot get a good combination Singapore noodle anywhere anymore. And I'm glad I'm going to take your recommendation and run with it because you're oh, right. Oh, I can give you several places. And you're right. You're right there because... They're not all when it's when it's not good. It's very disappointing, and it's and it's nothing when it's not good. It's kind of like a very average dish, mm. unless yes. it's great. And when it's great, it's the best. And I think it does come down to that curry powder. Some people really hold back on the curry, but for me, it's got to be it's got to be almost that bright yellow because yeah. there's that much yeah. curry in there. It's got to be glowing, and then. Yes. Glowing and steaming and hot too, you know, like you can order some chili with it on the side and just eat it while it's hot and fresh. It's much better to eat in than take away so you can get at it while it's really warm. So if I were to go down to the Jade Dragon in Urala, and I I think I remember that correctly, would I see Singapore noodles on the menu and did that play a kind of formative role in your food upbringing? Oh, look, I want to say I want to say that it did, but it probably didn't. I probably um, the the country Chinese is not made of the same stuff. When you get to again, a beautiful thing about Melbourne is the multiculturalism and the true like you know the food pockets where you go and get the real deal um, cultural food experiences. I sort of I I partic- I live in a place Flemington where I can eat African, Malaysian, Chinese, Vietnamese, and all sorts of you know the Abyssinian there's all sorts of crazy good food around here and that's one of the things I love about Melbourne is getting getting those flavors on a daily basis no I didn't I didn't can't say that you're the 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 wingly kind of cut it on that level (laughs) but it's good because also when you get a really like a really top-notch Singapore noodle in your head, it's one of those perfectly rounded meals as well because, you know, you got your noodles, but there's generally a little bit of veg in there. you got a lot of protein. Oh, don't try and claim it's healthy, Tegan. It is. What, <laughs> it is. not healthy, people. What's not healthy? <laughs> Lots of veg. Like I, I particularly like it when it's really veggie heavy and just a few kind of little bits of prawn, little bits of prawn, but yep. mostly crunchy veg and just, yeah, it's the best, man. It is. Look, I think it's a, for a desert island dish, I feel like I'll be getting a little bit of everything and that all-important spice. Yep. You know what? I think to kick it off and to to set the benchmark for the new year, this is the ideal desert island dish. It's perfect. But I do have one question about okay. this, Ella, for you. Um, you're, you're a very big deal musically and you... One of my favorite things is going into a restaurant. Typically, it's, you know, Chinese or Malaysian or Japanese or Italian. And you go into the restaurant and the owner, God bless their socks, has put up little framed photographs of famous people who've come into the restaurant, like musicians and politicians and sports oh, people yeah. and whatnot, right? And it's usually about 15 years ago. You know, you go Harry's Cafe de Wheels and there's Paul Hogan there and they've signed the photo. Is there somewhere in Australia, in some restaurant somewhere, maybe a Chinese restaurant in the middle of your hour, is there a little photo of you that you've signed somewhere in a restaurant? Oh, that's a good I, look. I don't know. I don't know. It's certainly 
definitely not like that. My favorite one is there's a, the American president. I can't remember now at, at Mekong in the city. Oh, it's Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill, Bill Clinton at Mekong. I don't think I've got anything that sort of showy or impressive. But I, yeah, I think also because maybe with our band and the demographic that it is, they might we might be flying under the radar at my favorite kind of restaurants. They don't even know who they've got eaten with them, and I'm no the big deal. I can just put my head down and slurp. No, what you need to do is walk into your favourite restaurant in Flemington, order the Derek Tibbs, and then just hand them a headshot and say you're welcome. <laughs> okay, I will. Well, Ella, it's it's just been so lovely having you on the show. You were influencing me, me when I was in my teens, putting texture in my hair so I'd look like you. <laughs> you're influencing me now because I'm going to go out at some point in the next couple of days. <laughs> well, yeah. buy texties, but also get myself some really good Singapore noodles from somewhere. But it's just been such a delight chatting with you. Thanks, guys. It's definitely worth the hunt. It's definitely worth the hunt. You get those noodles, girl. And thanks, guys. And, yeah, look, I'm happy to make the island smell so good with my singies. <laughs> Singapore noodles wedges with sweet chilli and sour cream. Mm. Paul, that was a tasty episode. Yeah, you just can't mix those two things, though. <laughs> you absolutely ruined them. I'm a big fan of something that you can use to scoop up the other thing. Now, typically speaking, you're not meant to have double carbs. Like, you can't pick up noodles with bread, right? Is there anything you would put with Singapore noodles, or are you eating it just completely by itself? Well, I mean, if we kind of arcing back to the things that we discussed at the beginning of our episode where we had clearly no regard for our health, those prawn crackers that you get when you're going to go oh. to some restaurants oh. what you use is you use those as a little kind of it's <laughs> like a sanctuary bow a lettuce cup but yeah. one that's really bad for you and you 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 delicately twirl the singapore noodle onto that and it, it sails towards your mouth like a boat leading the gods of old to valhalla nope please in actuality it's like a garbage scow crashing into a bridge okay it's not don't make it sound like you're a fucking michelin hat chef i can just imagine the soundtrack from that film excalibur playing while while my happy little singapore noodle boat glides glides to its destiny in my bell bell no it's a foghorn oh and it just just uh, oh man ruinous anyway i absolutely love Loved Ella, and you know what? These are pretty interesting times that we're all living through, and there's a lot of bad things happening out there in the world. And I think Ella made some really good points about you've just you've really got to enjoy those those small moments. And you know what's great? She's now the first person on this new island. Okay, so she is now completely alone with Singapore noodles. So let's see who arrives each week to keep her company. Now we have someone coming next week. We actually know who's coming next week, and we think they're going to be a perfect addition to the island. This guy's been a mainstay on your television screens for what quite a while. He's there to soothe you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to entertain you. And next week he will be on our island to absolutely delight you with a really unique take on the desert island dish. Yes, and if you're having a really, really bad time, he will enter slowly wearing a beautiful suit and apologize. Don't give it away! <laughs> I'm so excited. If you haven't somehow pieced together who it is, that's okay, but you're going to absolutely love him. Make sure you tune in next week for a brand new episode of Dish Island. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody, and we'll see you then. Eat your veggies! Eat your veggies! Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish Island is a proud member of the ACAST Creator Network.